is Michael Broadcorp from The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky. Becky Sher and I interviewed House Majority Whip Tom Emmer this past July. A lot has changed since we recorded our interview with Congressman Emmer. In the last 24 hours, Congressman Emmer has announced he is running to be the next Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. We decided to release an encore episode of our interview from July with Congressman Emmer. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did speaking with Congressman Emmer. The Breakdown with Brock and Becky will return with a new episode this week to discuss developments in the election of the next Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to The Breakdown with Brad Corp and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Becky Scher. And I'm Michael Broadcorp. And we're here for the second time this week um, with a bonus episode. For t- today's episode, we have a very special guest, Congressman Tom Emmer. Tom Emmer was elected to Congress in 2016, serving Minnesota's 6th Congressional District. From 2019 to 2023, Emmer chaired the National Republican Congressional Committee, which is tasked with electing Republicans to the U.S. House of Representatives. He is currently in his fourth term in Congress, and following the 2022 election, Emmer was elected by his peers to the number three position in the House, now serving as Majority Whip. Today is extra special for me as I have long been a member of Team Emmer. I had the privilege of working for Tom Emmer's gubernatorial campaign in 2010 and then got the incredible opportunity to join Congressman Emmer's office in Washington, D.C., serving as his communications director for his first three years in Congress. So with that, please join me in welcoming the one and only Congressman Tom Emmer to the show. Well, welcome, Congressman Emmer. We're very grateful for you joining us today. Great to be with you, Becky. Michael. On a beautiful July day in Minnesota, not here in D.C. (laughs) Well, speaking of D.C., obviously you are have a new position as Majority Whip. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, how it's going, and uh, maybe even just go a little bit into what you do as what what the whip position entails? Yeah, it's uh, unlike uh, sometimes in state legislatures, other things. They have these titles that are uh, basically just designating a leadership spot. Uh, There, that's all it is. Uh, this one actually has a function. Uh, it's uh, you have the uh, well. First, let's uh, uh, point out that the whip's position was not created until 1898, uh, and somebody's got to do the research. But my understanding is, and I, I haven't followed it up, which is why I qualified it. Michael, you do uh, some of the most in-depth research. You could probably find these answers really quick. But I think. What I was told is the speaker at the time, and I don't remember who that was, was not a Teddy Roosevelt ally. And so the whip's position was originally created to give the speaker an additional ally working the uh, the House members, uh, especially on the uh, Republican side of the aisle, to make sure that their, uh, their agenda advanced as opposed to the president's agenda. Uh, by the way, the first uh, uh, whip was a Republican. In fact, uh, there have been 11 Republican majority whips since this position was created, and we are the third Minnesotan to uh, to hold the uh, the title. Uh, but it's more than just a title. So the Speaker of the House, that's the uh, number one. Uh, that guy, McCarthy, uh, even when he's having a good day, he's having a bad day. Nobody is ever happy, and they're always hammering the uh, Speaker, and they're always criticizing. Uh, the uh, But he's in charge of everything. He's in charge of setting the tone, 
of the agenda, of making sure the grounds are all secure and everything's right. I mean, he's literally in charge of everything here in the Capitol complex. And uh, then you have the majority leader. That's Steve Scalise from Louisiana. Uh, the majority leader is responsible for setting a legislative calendar so people know when they're going to be in session, when they're going to be on the road in their districts, uh, and also for working with chair uh, the chairs of the different committees on what legislation is ready for prime time so that they can schedule that legislation for the floor. The whip's job is to make sure that once something is scheduled for the floor, it actually gets across the floor. And I, it's... Uh, been pretty amazing, Becky. The uh, people told me when this started that hey, you got to be careful. You got to uh, have sharp elbows and protect your lane because other people want to do your job. And I just laugh now because that's absolutely untrue. When you have 218 that you need to pass something and you only have 222 members, everything comes through the whip's office because nothing's going anywhere unless you can put that 218 together and. You know, we started out last January. I, I I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know that it was going to fit in my wheelhouse personally as as well as it did. But you remember that speaker's race? You had five days, 15 rounds of voting. Uh, you had the talking heads, the, the national pundits that uh, you guys are actually a voice of truth trying to push against their nonsense. They're, they were out there saying, look at these Republicans. Look at this. this is disgusting. They can't run a one-car parade. How are they ever going to be able to govern? Well, this is what I know from life. Uh, this is what you guys know because you've been part of this. Just because you put a group of people on the floor of the house, much like you would put them on a football field or a hockey rink or in a theater, just because you put them all together and put the same jersey on them doesn't mean they're a team. That takes time and that takes people got to run into each other. People got to have a plan. There has to be leadership. There has to be discipline. People need to trust each other, start to hold one another and themselves accountable, right? Uh, amazing. That uh, speaker's race was the beginning of creating a team because I've always had the attitude, I could give a darn whether you like somebody. I, you can dislike them for all I care. But if they're on your team, you don't have to socialize. You don't have to hang out. But when we got a job to do, you're going to have to know how to work together to get the job done. And that speaker's race was the beginning of that process. And Becky, six months just wrapped up. Uh, in the first quarter, there were roughly 180 votes, uh, more open process than we've seen in seven years. First uh, open amendment process to actually be on the House floor in seven years. We uh, had roughly 180 votes. Every one of them passed. You know, we passed uh, the Parental Bill of Rights. Uh, by the way, they didn't think we could pass that. Uh, we passed the, uh, which is incredible to me, we passed uh, the uh, House Energy Bill, which would lower costs because it would restore American energy independence and had permitting reform that nobody's seen in 40 years. We passed a border security bill that had failed under Republican majorities three times in the last 20 years. And we passed it with this tiny little slim majority. And then the, uh, the capper, for the six-month period was the uh, debt ceiling. Nobody thought Republicans could pass a debt ceiling bill. Uh, we not only passed it, that is the blueprint, I believe, for what Republican leadership will do when you expand the existing House majority in 2024's election, when you elect a majority of Republicans in the U.S. Senate, and when you put a Republican back in the White House, that's the blueprint. That was just the first six months, Becky. 
Now we're going to see the team's got to keep getting better. The team's got to keep banging into each other and figure out how to have some more success because now we're into NDAA right now. We're going to have the appropriations process. Now don't expect us to, uh, like any other team, always be successful. There will be a day when the team goes into a slump for a week or so. We just got to find our way through it. and We'll do well. This has been a great team so far, uh, and it's just beginning. Well, I think you certainly should be applauded for your efforts so far. Um, there's certainly no lack of personalities and different factions within the Republican caucus or conference. So the fact that you guys are are being productive and being successful, um, you, you should certainly be commended for that. So Becky, can I just say, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you because I've talked enough, but I, somebody said to me yesterday, well, this is the whip, you know, he's kind of like herding cats. To which I got up and I said, I wish we were herding cats. <laughs> actually, actually, we are herding a variety of different animals, which <laughs> makes it very challenging. Oh, isn't that the truth? Um, you know, obviously, in addition to your whip roles, you are still representing Minnesota, Minnesota 6th Congressional District. How do you balance? How are you finding that balance being um, your your role in leadership and also serving serving the state of Minnesota? It's the same thing that I told all of our members when they gave me this job. Uh, the members, because of my personality, which you two are very familiar with, thought that I would be more like Tom DeLay, uh, who, was the, uh, who was the whip 20 years ago, and he had the uh, nickname The Hammer because he was uh, very direct and he uh, had uh, tools that I don't have, right? Uh, we don't have the ability to go into one of our members and tell them, if you don't join us on this one, this could be the consequence. It, it doesn't work that way anymore. With the 24 hours a day, seven uh, day a week, uh, you know, uh, network entertainment driven soundbite news, uh, these people will go out and just elevate their own brand at the expense of the team. So you got to respect everybody. And what I told people, which applies to my district as well, your number one obligation is to take care of the people who sent you here. Nobody in this place voted for you to be their voice. You need to take care of your people at home first. Then you got to take care of yourself. If you can do those two things, then you can be part of the team. So I practice what I preach. The sixth district is the number one thing that I take care of every day. That's what it starts with. And then this job is layered in where it has to be. Uh, so they're simultaneous, but you know, I, I've been uh, walking my parades. I uh, I try to be at events all the time in the district. Uh, and then ultimately, it's not just about the seeing stuff, because you know this, Becky, you did this work. Michael, you've done it. It's a customer service business. you got to be, you got to recognize, you got to be humble enough to recognize it ain't about you. It's about the people that sent you here and you got to help them. You got to, you know, they got issues, whether it's passports, whether it's trying to get adopted children back from overseas, whether it's, uh, you know, issues, uh, you know, tax issues, veterans issues. That's our job. And we try to do that as well or better than anybody else. Uh, Congressman, um, you, know, you served in the Minnesota legislature. You uh, travel back and forth from Washington back to Minnesota on a regular basis. Can we get your perspective a little bit on what you think, what your take is on Minnesota politics in the state going on right now? What your thoughts were on the past legislative session and the shape and direction that the state is currently going in in Minnesota? I can think of a whole bunch of words. Disgusting, sad. I, I, it really makes you upset. I mean, the, uh, the lack 
of mature leadership in Minnesota is overwhelming. Whether you talk about youngsters that are uh, governing major cities like uh, are supposed to be governing, they're basically just uh, there for a uh, daily tour. Uh, whether it's Minneapolis or St. Paul, it's just been a complete uh, vacuum of leadership. And now uh, Tim Walls, who I thought would uh, govern, I mean, obviously I wanted uh, the Republican, but when Tim got elected, because I'd worked with him here, I thought, all right, well, he's a Democrat, but you know, he's a greater Minnesota guy and he'll he'll govern as more of a Minnesotan as opposed to a Minneapolis liberal. And oh my goodness, was I wrong. I mean, it, it, this is a uh, this is such a feckless uh, operation. Uh, and what they did was disgusting in the last legislative session, Michael. They spent, they blew through $18 billion in surplus. They tax on another $9.5 billion in tax, new taxes and fees. And then they pass a whole host of laws that on their face are unenforceable and unconstitutional. One of the worst, one of the most egregious, uh, when you talk about trying to keep people uh, growing, starting and growing Main Street businesses across Minnesota, Michael, is that Family Leave Act. Really? The definition of family is someone like family? How, how do you enforce that? And how do you tell an employer, and you'll have to correct me because I may have this wrong, but under that bill, uh, isn't it something like 32 weeks at 90% of their salary that the employer has to pay? Some incredible thing like that. These people are, uh, you know, to uh, to suggest that they uh, just didn't understand what they were doing is, is not fair. They are not mature enough to be leading Minnesota, uh, passing a trans bill that removes, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call it, trans haven that removes parental consent. Really? Really? We're going to take pa parents out of the equation? They're not representing Main Street, Minnesota, Michael. They're not representing our values in Minnesota. They're representing their values. And I think they're going to find out as we go forward that uh, Minnesotans uh, from all walks, doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, independent, other, people are, are uh, going to start to see the light. And I, I think they're going to find themselves on the outside when they put some uh, more uh, mature and rational human beings uh, back into elected office in Minnesota. Minnesota, but Becky and I have talked about this on on a, on a couple of prior shows, but I want to get your take on it. Minnesota has regained some national prominence uh, in the eyes of some of the progressives, and it's being touted as a model and an example of how they how Democrats should govern nationally, uh, as as what was done accomplished in Minnesota this last legislative uh, uh, this last legislative session. From your perspective. Um, wh where does Minnesota go if we continue to go down this road? Are we going to are we going to go back to those great days, or uh, what are Democrats? Uh, what's next for them to do? <laughs> Took it. Take a look at Illinois. Take a look at California. Take a look at these uh, states that have been run by these. Take a look at New York. I mean, Michael, <laughs> they they're touting Minnesota, right? Because it was one party rule, and they got everything they wanted. That's the way Republicans should govern, Michael. I get everything I want, and it doesn't matter what it does. Uh, bottom line is they're spending other people's money. They are destroying opportunities. They are limiting choices. And what you're going to find, like uh, Illinois has found, people will start to uh, vote with their feet. They will start to leave the state. And I, I know that uh, we had a governor that I might have run against once who told the members of the Minnesota Business Partnership, uh, who said, if you do all this stuff, we, we're going to have to move. And his attitude was, you've been saying that for years. Why don't you just move? 
That's not the attitude we should have in Minnesota. Remember, uh, this is about servant leadership. This is not about dict- uh, dictatorial, tyrannical, you know, uh, one party tells everybody else, you're going to accept this, uh, you know, you're going to eat this thing, whether you like it or not, uh, whether it's good for you or not. Uh, people will just talk with their feet. I mean, I, I worry about, I'll give you an, a, a scenario that I haven't seen yet, but you've got states now passing uh, uh, education tax credits, right? So our, our public school system used to just be bad because the uh, the, the union had taken it over and the union members were more important than the kids and the families that they were uh, uh, teaching. Not all, but the leadership absolutely was not in line with uh, you know putting kids first and parents first. They put themselves first. Well, guess what? We, we've got issues with our public education right now. We've got, uh, I mean, it's just scary stuff that they're doing uh, in the schools. Uh, what have we seen since the pandemic, Michael? We've seen an increase in homeschooling. We've seen an increase in charter schools. We've seen uh, parochial schools expanding, right? Uh, and having waiting lists because of what they did during the pandemic. Well, now you've got these other states that are passing these education tax credits. And I think one of them is you can uh, uh, you can take a, uh, or you can credit up to $8,000 for education for your child. So I want you to think about that uh, young professional that is working at one of these 17, 18, Fortune 500 companies that are still headquartered in Minnesota, but probably are looking outside. I, okay, I got four kids, my wife and I. Huh, I can now do some remote work and I can commute. I'm going to move to that other state because I get up to $32,000 a year to educate my children the way I believe they should be educated. Huh. Sounds like a really difficult choice to make. And I I think these are the kinds of things when you talk about the ridiculous, excessive, uh, overbearing uh, garbage that they passed in the last legislative session, people will start to think about what their better options are. And uh, you better watch out because they're going to take them. Congressman, I know we've got to let you go here in just a minute. Um, quick 30-second answer from you. Coming up against the 2024 session, we talk a lot about messaging and what Republican um, candidates need to do to win back uh, either chamber of the state legislature. What advice would you have for candidates or current electeds out on the campaign trail trying to to win back those that majority? You got to run on something. Don't just run against stuff. You got to be for something. If you don't, if you're not running for something, you got nothing to run on. So I would tell every candidate first and foremost, rather than pointing out everything that's bad with the other guy, talk about the economy. What would you do to make the economy better? Talk about uh, crime. Talk about uh, honoring the men and women who uh, protect us every day in law enforcement, and what you would do to make sure we we protect them and we restore the rule of law in Minnesota. And the list goes on. Uh, what you would do to ensure that our kids are actually getting the education they deserved, and not the inculcation that this uh, teachers union and others want to want to spread through our public school system. Talk about that, and then I would say that's creating the contrast because you got to you got to know, despite what they're doing here, uh, which is crazy, the Bidenomics thing really. Uh, they think they can change the narrative when people are paying more at the grocery store, more at the pump, when uh, their costs for the average family of four are going up by four, five, six thousand dollars this year, and their wages aren't anywhere close to that. 
uh, people will will know better. People are smarter, I think, than Democrats give them uh, credit for. So sell sell what you got. And that's not 30 seconds. I'm not capable of that. Sorry. I should have known better. Thanks for coming on. Oh, no. Thanks for having me. Good to see both of you. Hope I cross paths with you in person sometime soon. Absolutely. We'll see ya. See you guys. Bye-bye. So it's no surprise that I am a fan of Congressman Emmer. I'm a fan of his communication style. I was able to work and spend almost every day with him for three years um, listening to him speak. And uh, one thing we often heard was you might not like what he has to say, but he's going to tell you the truth and what he truly, truly feels. He doesn't mince words. um, And I think this interview showed exactly that. It was very interesting um, as he spoke the the passion that he has, the enthusiasm that he has. You know, one thing, just bring it always back locally to Minnesota. You know, there's a number of Republicans right now in this state that are uh, kind of frustrated, kind of down, um, walking around with kind of clouds over their head. And uh, Tom Emmer is a ray of sunshine right now. And uh, he is uh, a large, has a larger than life personality. Um, he's doing a fantastic job uh, being the house, uh, the house whip. Uh, he was correct, I think, in his interview when he talked about a number of things. But one thing I want to dial on very specifically was kind of the prognostication that was done about how the, the how Republicans with such a slim majority would be able to govern in Washington. And of course, there's been some uh, some bumps and bruises. He acknowledged that, uh, but he has just done a remarkable job. And I think what Minnesotans need to see more of is Tom Emmer. And what I mean by that is he's got incredible potential here in the state. Um, I think yeah, he's, he's obviously being a member of Congress, having to travel back and forth from Minnesota to Washington, D.C. But if Republicans are thinking about in this state someone who they should be looking to to be the leader to get uh, to help reclaim a statewide office, uh, or to put uh, build the type of political infrastructure needed to win in the state, they should be looking no farther than Tom Emmer because I got to tell you something. That guy is talented. Um, he is just a talented political individual. And if you look over the course of his career, what he's been able to accomplish and where he is now, and what he's doing right now in Washington, um, he's got success. Uh, and and there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for Republicans to to give him more space, particularly in this state, because I, I just believe very strongly in the Emmer brand and his ability his ability to lead Republicans back to some wins statewide and more electoral prominence in this state. I completely agree. I mean, I think that one thing, um, Emmer, despite being number three in in the House, um, has a humbleness to him as well. I think a lot of times folks think of anybody that goes to Congress or, or rises to the prominent positions are all about their ego and what their name and everything of that sort. And and I think that Emmer is is maybe a rare one out there um, that truly does believe still that that Minnesota, his district, the service that he can do, the customer service he's spoke to is a top priority of these positions and and that he believes he is privileged um, to to be able to have that opportunity. Um, And I think that is also something that, you know, I would like legislators and candidates to remember when they're out there that that they are are there to serve. They're not there to just pontificate and, you know, have these grandioso statements and, and their time on the floor that they can get a video to put out there. They are there to serve the people, the businesses, the families that they represent. Um, 
and uh, he is a great me- you know figurehead, like you said, a messenger to to be that that person we all look to. And and like you said, you know, I loved his advice um, for folks at the end. We hear a lot of people complaining, simply complaining, and having we've heard this time and time again. We heard it from Annette Meeks in our first interview. We heard it from Elliot Engen and, and others we spoke to along the way. You have to stand for something. You have to have a vision. You have to have a path forward, and that's the only way we're going to find success. And and hopefully we will see that um, here in the state. Do you think he runs for something other than Congress in the future? I don't know. Um, that's a really good question. I've I've had multiple conversations with you know friends and colleagues along the way about that. Um, I I know that he's he likes what he's doing in Washington. I know that he has you know had built good relationships and and is doing great things out there. Um, obviously, he did run for con- or for governor here and just came up uh, a few thousand votes shy with the recount in 2010. Um, I would love to see him. I think he's still young. He's got a lot of passion, a lot of heart, and would be great and has a lot of opportunities still in front of him to do, to do that, whether that's governor, whether that's Senate, um, whatever that may look like. I also think that because of his ability and messaging, I could see him, you know, finding another another space where he could be uh, a, a top messenger for Republicans. I was, um, the more he spoke, the more I remembered what it was like when he was campaigning, when, when I've seen him campaign here in Minnesota. And um, he has evolved into a absolute top flight national political leader. And that's impressive. That is incredibly impressive. He does not have an easy job right now. No. Uh, as I've frequently said politics is not a tickle competition. And as he said on the on the show, he, on, on our interview with him, he discussed some of those, you know, being the whip and and, and managing and and helping, you know, steer, uh, you know, behind the scenes and in front uh, the operations of the House of Representatives. That is not a small task. And um, he uh, was smiling. He looked sharp. Um, he had a lot of energy. And if, and if there's one thing about, I think, Tom Emmer's brand that I think Republicans need right now and will always need is his enthusiasm and energy. He um, he is a, he is a hockey player. I can see ever since I first met Emmer, he, he, I just I immediately think of someone like Herb Brooks. I, I think of that kind of hockey style. And he's got that coach leadership style. And Republicans need that right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as someone who considers themselves, as I've said before, a little bit politically homeless, you're more of the, on the in, in the party operations than I have. But we both served in various cap- capacities in the party. I would door knock for Tom Emmer. Uh, I'd lit drop for Tom Emmer. If, if he I would do that type of work and build that type of coalition around his brand and his messaging. Um, I think he's got his act together. And mm-hmm. I think if there's something that we could do. I think, and I think one of the reasons we wanted him on, and by the way, we should say, we were coming up with a list of people that we wanted to have on the podcast. Uh, Tom Emmer was on the top of the list, um, and his, his staff was great in getting this interview done. The timing couldn't have been better, because I think uh, having him on in the middle of the summer here um, is, is a, I think, going to be the jump start that uh, a lot of Republicans need to hear that message. So it's, it was good messaging. Um, but overall, I just think we need more of that. And and his inf- it's it's very much enthusiasm. I I got 
was getting charged up and excited uh, and ready to go, you know, ready to have that fight, just like kind of that locker room speech yep. you get from someone. And it's very much that type of uh, that attitude. And I'm, and I'm, I want to describe it the right type of way, but it's very much that type of locker room type feel you, you have. A, your coach comes in, you're either, you know, you're maybe down a few points and you need to have someone come in, rally the troops, get the team excited to go out there and fight the battle. Tom Emmer, I think, can do that better than any Minnesota Republican right now. And yeah, I mean, I even really loved the way he kind of. I mean, he he's still he's still Tom Emmer from Delano, Minnesota. You know, dad, coach. Um, even the way he was talking about, you know, the folks on his team right now. You know, the the two hundred twenty some individuals in the Republican conference that you might not all like each other, just like on a team, right? You don't have to like each other. You have to work together. You're you're all trying to to move that needle and, and work towards that end goal, whether whatever that might look like. And um, it's a, a monumental task that he's got ahead of him. Um, they, they've seen success. They've got a lot coming at them. And uh, I mean, I, I get goosebumps still listening to him. I, I spent three years listening to him, you know, almost on a daily basis, like I said, and, and he still is just exciting to hear. And so very grateful. I know. I mean, we're we're a tiny little podcast here in Minnesota and, and that he was able to give us the time, um, you know, busy congressional schedule. Very grateful. Well, thank you for recording that interview. I would have been disappointed if that one had happened while I was off the show. I'm glad I was able to participate in it. And I hope we have him on again. And one of the things, just maybe in closing, but it's your show too, if you want to talk more, we can. Um, we've tried to, on this podcast, have um, break down a number of subjects. And we've also tried, and I think very successfully, to have opportunities to bring Democrats onto and give our li listeners um both sides of the coin in some instances, the, from the perspective of the Democrats and also from the Republicans. But I do believe in our hearts, both of us want to see the Republican Party in Minnesota succeed. And so from that standpoint, I think allowing him to come on, inviting him to come on and the work he did to get him on, I think is another example of how when we have the opportunity to on this particular podcast to be value added to the Republican team in Minnesota and give them an opportunity to hear how things can be if they focused uh, in the right places. And I think we got that from Congressman Emmer today. But once again, Becky, thank you so much for facilitating the interview and getting it done because All this, you is gonna, this is going to be a good episode and our listeners are going to like it. I sure hope so. It was fun. And uh, yeah, we hope to do it soon and bring some other uh, big guests on in the future. We want to thank you for listening to this bonus episode of The Breakdown with Broadcrum Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. That's bbbreakpod.com. The Breakdown with Broadcorp and Becky will return next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye.